may be seated. Our sermon text this morning will be from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. The bulletin says verses 12 through 22, but actually I'll just be preaching on verses 12 and 13. So that will be what I'll read this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Uh, You can find that on page 988 in your pew Bible. This is the word of the Lord. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Since the reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word, let us pray. Father, we thank you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Lord, we ask that you would feed us this morning, Lord, with your word, Father, that we may be nourished, Lord, to live lives this week that are worthy of your gospel, that are honoring and glorifying to you, Lord. Uh, may your word abide in us, that through Christ. Uh, Lord, this week we may overcome the evil one. And Father, uh, may you speak through me, through your spirit, that uh, hearts may be enlightened to your, to your word, Father, that, that uh, we may be changed and conformed and sanctified into the image of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is year 18 for me as a high school science teacher. I have served in this capacity at two schools for eight years at North Central and now for almost 10 years at Opelousas High. And inside my classroom, I am a leader of young minds. I I get to run the show every day. Um, I have state curriculum standards that that guide me in my planning, but I get to decide each day uh, what students will do to learn the material. I decide how they're assessed and uh, how how to assign grades, hopefully in a fair and fair way that rewards their hard work. Uh, while also providing opportunities for struggling students to improve. And I get to decide on, on how to maintain discipline in my class and what battles are worth fighting and which uh, things I should just let go. And while I am a leader within those four walls of my classroom, I'm also a man under authority. Um, yes, to God first, but also to my principal. Um, I counted it up yesterday. In my 18 years of teaching, I've worked under 11 principals, So I've seen my share of effective leadership and not-so-effective leadership. I've had principles that it was a joy to work with and those where my attitude was much less eager. But in any case, it was my duty and my obligation to obey my principles' directions. And I won't tell you that I've always done it perfectly, but as we'll see in today's passage, both effective leadership and joyful following as leaders lead is essential to the ministry of the church. And as we near the end of uh, the letter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silas and Timothy provide uh, what the English Standard Version's heading says are final instructions in which the authors go through a range of topics on godly living and provide just a quick exhortation on each one. And though I have moved fairly quickly through 1 Thessalonians, um, it seems the Lord has given me a lot to say about these two verses, so we'll slow down a bit. This morning we'll address uh, two topics in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 5. Uh, first, the righteous role of church leaders, and second, the respectful response of the church to godly leadership. So beginning with the righteous role of church leaders. First, 
Uh, these verses describe those who, are, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Uh, who could this be referring to? Who are these people laboring and admonishing people? Um, 1 Timothy 5.17 gives us a clue. It says, Let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So elders are those in the church who have the righteous rule of ruling over the church and laboring in preaching and teaching. This includes ruling elders, but also pastors who are responsible for shepherding the flock of God and and caring for the spiritual vitality of its members. Uh, This is the pattern we see set out in Scripture, even since the Old Testament, uh, when Moses was advised by his father-in-law to to select elders and officers from among the people to serve as judges and to lighten his load in Exodus 18. And a similar story in, in Numbers 11 tells us that God shared his spirit with the 70 men that Moses appointed as elders and officers so that they could bear the burden of the people with Moses, and so Moses would not have to bear it alone. Uh, This pattern of elders ruling and working to teach people continued in the Jewish tradition and even into the first century church. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And also note that those who labor, in verse 12, there is, is plural. Uh, every reference to elders in the New Testament assumes that there is a plurality of elders, not a single elder, but a group of elders who have authority over the church, uh, and we Presbyterians call them the, the session. So what do these elders do? What is their role? Verse 12, three things are described. Now, these are not the only three things that elders do, but they are representative of their role. First, elders labor among you. We find that leadership is work. I will tell you that as a teacher, leading a group of teenagers to learn chemistry and human body systems is plenty of work. Uh, There's planning, there's setting up labs, there's the actual teaching and managing the classroom, there's grading their work. Uh, Then there are other duties, supervising lunch and before and after school, serving on committees, uh, coaching, sponsoring student organizations. As a teacher, there's always more work that could be done. In the case of church leaders, we we just heard in the case of these men appointed to serve with Moses that they were to bear the burden and to lighten Moses' load. Um, Leading that rebellious nation was a difficult and frustrating experience for Moses, and it was hard work for him. It was a burden. And it's a similar thing for the elders who lead churches today. Uh, The Greek word translated labor uh, is is wearisome work. Um, There's another word used for work in the Bible that emphasizes the effort of that work, but the word used here in verse 12 goes a step further. It includes the cost of that effort. Uh, Pastors and elders have to make sacrifices to serve in that capacity. Paul uses this word frequently in his letters to refer to the work he does to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build the the first century church. It was used even of Jesus himself in John chapter 4 as uh, Jesus came to Sychar and Samaria. And John chapter 4 verse 6 says this, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied, there's the word, wearied as he was from his journey, uh, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the work of elders in the church is is comparable to the work done by Jesus to walk miles and miles through rough terrain uh, through Samaria during his ministry. 
Uh, the work of a pastor is exhausting and wearisome. It is a significant burden. And so the fact that the first thing that Paul and Silas and Timothy mention about elders is their labor emphasizes that elders don't serve in that role for the recognition of that position, though this verse says the church should give them their due honor and respect. But what should characterize pastors and elders is their work. Pastors and elders have the responsibility to lead the work of the church and to lead it by example as servants for Christ's sake and to encourage and teach others to contribute to the work of the body of Christ as well. Second, we see that the elders are over you in the Lord. Verse 12, uh, just as God has designed those in a family to have different roles, God has called and ordained certain church members to have different roles. In a family, a father is to lead his wife and his family to serve his family by assuming leadership of the home. Uh, husbands are called in Ephesians 5:25 to love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Similarly, a wife or a mother is called to lead her family and submit to her husband. Ephesians 5.23 tell us that for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And children then are to honor and obey their parents. Ephesians 6.1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So the order of authority for the family is God-designed, and it works well when each member fills its role appropriately. Ephesians 5 and 6 address not only how those under authority must submit to those over them, but again and again, husbands are told they must love their wives as their own bodies. Parents are told not to provoke their children, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And in a similar way, God has designed uh, relationships of authority in the church. Elders are called to lead well in submission to Christ in all things, and to lead in love for the flock of God. Pastors, pastors and elders are not to rule in a worldly way, but as we see in verse 12, in the Lord. Uh, Jesus told his apostles the way in which they should rule and, and contrasted their methods with those of the Gentiles. In Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 45, say this, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many." So the elder is called to an office of service to the church, just as Christ came, not to be served, but to serve. Um, elders are in a unique position. Yes, they are, they are in authority over their congregation, but these men are also ones under authority. They are over their flock in the Lord. Um, Christ is the head of the church, and his under-shepherds are under his authority. The session seeks to follow Christ's leading, and first and foremost, through his revealed will in the Bible. Uh, the elders of the church are to look to the Lord for his leadership through the commands he gives to the church in Scripture. And from the Bible itself, we have a great and godly system and structure for church leadership and church government. And we believe our Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechisms 
which serve as the standards for the ARP Church, do a good job of summarizing the commands of scriptures and, and putting it in a form that's organized and applicable to the entire church. And in addition to that, we have our ARP form of government and book of discipline, which provide procedures and processes and rules which, which govern our church and our presbytery and our entire denomination. And one of the vows that elders take in the ARP when they're ordained and when they're installed into their office is this. It's question six. Do you promise to submit in the spirit of love to the authority of the session and to the higher courts of the church? So elders individually are also under the authority of the session, the plurality of elders, which, who, who together provide leadership for the church. And while elders are in authority, elders are and under authority, elders are also among the people that they lead. Uh, when Paul and Silas and Timothy, apostles of Jesus Christ, address the Thessalonian church, uh, what do they call them in verse 12? How do they address them? Do they call them children? No, they call them brothers or brethren. Uh, Paul puts himself on the same level as the believers in Thessalonica. And the same is true of elders in the church today. Though pastors and elders hold an office in the church, they are equal to other church members before God and in, in relation to Christ. Uh, just as a husband and wife are, are equal before the Lord, yet the husband has a position of authority over his wife, so it is with elders. Though elders are officers of the church and are set apart for spiritual leadership, they are not of a separate class of people. Elders are men with the same need for a savior and forgiveness as every other church member. Uh, pastors and elders have to do battle with their sinful nature and the temptations of the world and the flesh just as all Christians do. And this type of incarnational leadership is what was exercised by our Lord as he sent Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to live among us. Jesus became truly man so that he could identify with us. Jesus knew what it was to be tempted and to be tested as we are, yet without sin. And we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. All oh, that's from Hebrews 4.15. You know, he wept in pain at the death of Lazarus. He, he endured and was perfected by suffering. And I believe this is part of God's wisdom in calling ordinary men into the office of elders so that they can fully identify uh, with the struggling Christian because they are struggling Christians as well. And this leads naturally into the third task of elders. Third, we find that elders admonish you, verse 12. To admonish means to caution or to reprove gently or to warn. And the tone of this admonishment is big brotherly. It's, it's unwilling to shame someone. Yet the elders are to hold church members accountable for their failure to do right. Uh, Paul does this with uh, his letter to the first, the first letter to the Corinthians. He certainly has much to admonish them about and addresses some serious sin in his letter. Yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. When the situation warrants, the elders of the church have a duty as under-shepherds of Christ to go after those straying sheep and to admonish them and to call them back to repentance and back into the fold of God. And elders are to exercise this duty, not as the cold voice of authority, but in the spirit of love and in the warmth of Christian brotherhood. 
The goal of all church discipline is the restoration of the sinner to full fellowship in the body of Christ and the preserving of the peace, the purity, the prosperity, and the unity of the body of Christ. The Bible is clear that elders will give an account of their leadership to God and and the way in which they have kept watch over the souls in their charge. So elders must take their task seriously. But verse 12 does not only speak of an occasional admonishment, but it seems to indicate that this is something that happens regularly. It is the job of one of the elders of the church, the pastor, to week in and week out faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. And this is a key part of our worship service every Sunday morning. The preaching of the word is the means of grace God has given to feed his sheep. And this preaching should be, at least in part, admonishment. Uh, We all fall short of the glory of God in thought, word, and deed. And the Holy Spirit uses the preaching of God's word to grow us and to sanctify us and to become more and more Christ-like. We need the admonishment of the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit speaking through the brother preaching each week to convict us of sin and to remind us of the free offer of grace and forgiveness in the gospel bought by Jesus' blood and to call us to repentance and to spur us on toward love and good deeds. So we have seen that the righteous role of elders is described in three ways, in their work, in their leadership, and the admonishment that pastors and elders provide. So we move into the other um, topic addressed in verses 12 and 13, which is, what is the church's response to this work and leadership and admonishment of the elders? First, we read that we should respect our elders. Uh, We are given the first reason to respect them in verse 12. Elders are those who labor among you. One of the reasons pastors and elders don't receive the respect and honor that they should is their labor is not taken into consideration. John Calvin says, Now this work is the edification of the church, the everlasting salvation of souls, the restoration of the world, and, in fine, the kingdom of God and Christ. The excellence and dignity of this work are inestimable. Hence, those whom God makes ministers in connection with so great a matter ought to be held by us in great esteem. Elders and pastors especially are God's gift to the church. They're not dictators, but leaders and examples. As they work to follow the Lord, we also must follow them. Another reason to respect church leaders is that they are among you. Our leaders in the church are brothers in Christ. They are part of the church family. And elders and shepherds that care for church members and lead them uh, should seek to follow the Lord. Members of the session are ready and willing to hear your concerns, to pray with you, to answer your questions, to point you to scripture, to encourage you in the faith by pointing you to Jesus Christ. And they're right here with you. Um, You don't have to go to the denominational headquarters. You don't have to go to the presbytery for assistance. Uh, Help is right here among you. Um, God has appointed elders in this very church uh, to care for you, and this is God's way of caring for his sheep. We also see in verse 12 that the Thessalonians are asked to esteem the elders very highly in love because of their work. Are we to esteem the elders because they're infallible? No. Are we to always... Are they going to always make the decisions that we agree with? No. Um, The Lord says to esteem your elders highly in love because of their work. Spiritual leadership is a difficult task. The burdens are many, and the encouragements are few. 
So we should honor those who labor among us and not take our elders for granted. We should pray for them regularly. Uh, When our elders take on the work of leading the church, we should work with them and not against them. And it never hurts to encourage them, especially uh, when God gets the glory. So how do we respect and lovingly esteem our elders? In addition to accepting them and appreciating them and loving them, we should also obey them. Hebrews 13, 17 puts it plainly. It says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God's spiritual leaders must be respected and obeyed unless it is obvious that they are outside of God's will. How do we do this? Uh, If you find it difficult, and we all do at times, uh, we should pray, asking for the Holy Spirit to change our hearts and our attitudes. We can also reflect on what is causing our desire to disobey. Could it be a lack of trust? Uh, You should be able to trust your your elders. They They must meet a high standard of character as laid out in Scripture. Are you open to being persuaded? Are you ready to learn? Are you teachable? Are you ready to be led and not eager to rebel against anyone that calls you to go along with something that wouldn't be your way of doing things? Not that you should be naive and rubber stamp everything that your leaders propose. Uh, We see later in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21 that we should test everything with scripture. But here's what Pastor John Piper says about obeying church leaders. He says this, I should have a bent toward trusting its leaders. Be bent that way. Don't be a distrustful people. Second, I should have a disposition to be supportive in my attitudes and actions toward the goals and directions of the leaders. If they craft a vision and set some goals, be supportive. Go with them. I think it means we should want to imitate their faith, and I think it means we should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. We also see at uh, the beginning of verse 12, Paul and Silas and Timothy say, we ask you, brothers. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy's address is, is gentle. It's an appeal rather than an authoritative, <clears throat> an authoritative command. Uh, why? Because commands to obey and respect are pretty ineffective. That's not the type of obedience that is necessary. Instead, the Lord asks us, he appeals to us to respect and esteem those who labor in leadership. Dr. Leon Morris says, effective leadership in the church demands effective following. Following begrudgingly is not the type of following that's helpful. God asks for our joyful, wholehearted obedience, not only to him, but also to his under-shepherds who have been called and ordained to lead us. So what should this look like in the church and even in our church? The command in verse 13 is to be at peace among yourselves. Notice that the writers have moved from injunction, which is, we ask you in verse 12, to imperative. Now, this is a command to be at peace. Uh, This command is addressed to the whole church of the Thessalonians, and it applies both to the way the leaders lead and the way the congregation responds to that leadership. In my classroom, when I'm leading by being well-prepared and providing an effective lesson, and the students respect my leadership and do what they're being asked to do, there's peace. Uh, There's a happy teacher. They get good grades. Everybody's happy. Uh, When the elders of the church do the hard work of leading faithfully, and the church responds by respecting the elders and their leadership, 
and esteeming them highly in love, the result is peace. When pastors and elders are ordained and and take the vows of ordination in ARP churches, as well as most Reformed churches, they are asked, uh, for us, this is question seven, do you promise in all things to promote the unity, the peace, the purity, and the prosperity of the church? There's a similar vow that members take uh, when they become members. Um, Question seven, in loving obedience, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to seek the peace, purity, and prosperity of the congregation as long as you're a member of it? There is a response of God's people that is drawn from hearts full of affection and esteem for their elders, a respectful response to the spiritual counsel and the authority of the leaders is this. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's press on. Uh, Paul addresses a similar point to the Philippian church. He tells them in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, In light of what Christ has done, do all things without murmuring and complaining. Uh, This murmuring and complaining language is also used in the Exodus. God had given uh, the people a God-fearing and caring and concerned leader in Moses. And God had worked mightily through Moses to free his people from slavery in Egypt. And what did the people do? They murmured and they complained. Numbers 11, 4, and 5 say this. The people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And on and on. And all because they had stubbornly refused to follow Moses and Joshua's leadership to move forward to claim the promised land, which was a land flowing with milk and honey. And this is the pattern we see again and again if you read the Bible or learn about church history. Whenever God's people do not respond to godly leadership by saying, brothers and sisters, let's go, what happens? Uh, We turn to one another and we say, I don't like this and I don't like that. Sinclair Ferguson says, we end up wanting some kind of spiritual reality in a half-hearted way, but wanting to go back and to hold on to the things we had, the melons and the cucumbers that made us comfortable and happy, the things that we were used to. And because of their failure to respond to God's leadership through Moses, Israel became a laughingstock for the nations. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now the Lord sustained them. Their clothes and their shoes did not wear out, but That rebellious generation did not enter the promised land. And the same can be true of the church if she grumbles and complains rather than following the genuine leadership of its elders. We can be stuck wandering in the wilderness, all because of our sinful lack of respect and esteem for the leadership that God has ordained. So the way we submit ourselves to the government of the church and to seek its peace is this. When our leaders approve something, we should say, Let's follow. Let's do it together. Let's work toward spreading the gospel. So what if you do not agree with the decision of the session? Uh, We have principles laid out in the Bible in Matthew 18. Uh, Bring that concern to members of the session. Ask questions. Find out uh, why did you make this decision. Um, The session takes very seriously and prayerfully uh, the actions we take as a session. We, We aspire to make decisions that are biblical and faithful to God and in the best interests of our congregation. But the elders of this church are men, and while we are accountable to each other by God's grace to keep us from going astray, 
uh, we are yet fallible men, and it is possible that we could be in error. So if the session is leading the church in an unbiblical direction, or if we have sinned, then yes, in that case, you have a responsibility to bring the matter before the elders and tell them their fault, as Matthew 18, 15 says. And it is also your responsibility to obey God rather than men when there's a conflict between what God and men are asking you to do. On the other hand, if it's a difference of opinion or preference or on a matter not clearly addressed in Scripture or our standards of government, then your vows as a, and your Christian duty require you to submit yourself to the government of the church. I may ask my students, uh, we need to have a test. What day works best for you? And I know many students have activities. Many are taking AP and dual enrollment classes. They need to study for, so I want their input to try to alleviate, alleviate some of their stress and schedule it to give them plenty of time to study. And my students will let me know, yeah, they got an English test tomorrow and a big project due the next day. And, of course, I have some students who suggest, yeah, just May 25th would be good, and put it off as long as possible. And at some point, I, as the teacher, have to make the decision and say, okay, we'll plan to have our test on Wednesday. And that girl that also has a geometry on a U.S. history test that day may protest, but a decision had to be made. Uh, just as I know I can't please everyone all the time in my classroom, our elders know our decisions can't uh, please everyone all the time. But in those cases, we are to submit to the leadership in the Lord and do so without murmuring and complaining and following their leadership joyfully and thankfully. What if I, as an elder, have not led well through hard work or have abused the authority given to me by Christ or have not taken seriously the work of admonishing sinners? Or what if, as a church member, I have not given the leaders of the church the respect and the esteem that they're due if I have disregarded their leadership and stubbornly refuse to follow? Well, hear this, Christian. We, we have the promise from, from Scripture, which is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus' blood on the cross has the power to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from sin. So confess it to the Lord. Seek reconciliation if, if you've sinned against someone. And turn to the Lord for the forgiveness of the Holy Spirit. Will you respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves? That is the challenge that we have from, from 1 Thessalonians. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord, which is powerful, Lord, to, to change us, Lord, through your spirit, Lord, to work in our hearts. Lord, we pray that these words to us this morning, Lord, that we would uh, reflect on them, that we would meditate on them, that we would consider how they apply to us here at Hope Presbyterian, Lord, that you would transform us, Lord, into your church, Father, that we would do your will, that in all things, Lord, um, you would be glorified and, and honored and praised, that, Lord, you would receive all glory and honor because you are, are worthy of it, because, Lord, you have provided richly for us through the godly leaders that you have given, and, Lord, through the, the willing followers, the, those who, who seek to joyfully um, obey. Lord, we, we thank you for your grace to us, that, Lord, we have your forgiveness in Christ. And, Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you would um, bless this church and, and grow us and conform us to be more and more like Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.